We know you're busy. Bills to pay, mouths to feed, and the man needs another favor. So just in case you missed what happened on the fan today, we got your back. And even if you did hear it live, you probably need to hear it again. Here you go, all in one place and in just one hour. The best of the best from today on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. This is Instant Replay. This morning on the Wake Up Call with KB and Andy. And Adrian Wojnarowski joining us here on the program, ESPN Senior NBA Insider. Woj, good morning. Uh, I want to get in just a second. We've been promoting this morning uh, your podcast, which is going to be at the Vogue Theater tomorrow. Yeah. So I want to give you some time on that. But 30 minutes ago, you had a Woj bomb. You and Ramona Shelburne uh, that the Warriors and Lakers had a conversation about LeBron James being traded to the Warriors. What else can you tell us about that? And was the hesitancy on the Lakers or more maybe on LeBron's side of things? No, good morning, guys. Uh, right prior to the trade deadline, uh, middle of last week, the Warriors called the Lakers. It was an owner-to-owner call. Joe Lacob to Jeannie Buss and, and essentially – Lake asked if some of the uh, apparent frustration that LeBron James was feeling, you saw the hourglass uh, emoji, you know, in the days leading into the trade deadline, was there an opening for a discussion on the availability of LeBron James? Uh, it was something Draymond Green, we were told, uh, was encouraging uh, his owner or his, excuse me, you know, Joe Lake his boss, to do and essentially Jeannie Buss her response was we're not interested in trading him but if you're asking me about his mindset why don't you call his representation reach out to Rich Paul and ask him if he's frustrated or whether he's happy here and I think that's part of how Jeannie Buss has always operated that team she wants her star players to be happy She's want, she wants them to want to be there. And essentially, she said, ask Rich Paul. And Joe Lacob and Mike Dunleavy Jr., their GM, you know, eventually uh, got to Rich Paul, and he shut this down mm. and said LeBron has no interest. They had no interest in being traded, and that was the end of it. There were other calls. Mike Dunleavy Jr. to Rob Palenka, who told them we're not interested in trading LeBron. And if you, as you read through the story, you'll see – the Lakers had other calls, or another call anyway, leading into the trade deadline. Daryl Morey in Philadelphia called on LeBron James. Now, Daryl Morey will call on everybody's star. He called Phoenix and went down the line on their, uh, you know, on Kevin Durant, Devin Booker, uh, Bradley Beal, and was told no on all of them. He was obviously told no on LeBron James. But the fact that an owner called an owner, they had more than one conversation uh, about uh, the Warriors' interest. They wanted to pair him with, obviously, Steph Curry with Draymond Green. LeBron's in the last year of his deal, potentially. He's got a player option on next season. Uh, but uh, those conversations never went for, far enough that the Warriors even could make an offer. The Lakers never gave them an opening to even make an offer on LeBron James. But... This was a 20, very interesting 24-hour window 
between those two organizations. Quite the Woj bomb about a half hour ago. Again, Adrian Wojnarowski from ESPN, the GOAT. He's with us here on the Payless Lickers Hotline. Speaking of stars, he's got an event with the Pacers star coming up, Tyrese Halliburton, tomorrow night at the Vogue. We'll get to that in just a second. One more on, on this news item, if you mm-hmm. don't mind, Woj. You think LeBron will end his career ultimately with the Lakers, or do you see another stop? You know, we say in the story, and you know, our reporting certainly right now is that his focus this summer is remaining with the Lakers. And with that player option, typically you're going to decline the player option and then do a new deal because you can get a raise off of that number. You could do an, you could do a one plus one or a two plus one or whatever at this point. I don't think he's doing, you know, at this point in his career at 40 years old, uh, it's probably certainly a shorter deal I'm told that's still his focus to do. And, you know, so much of his post career is going to play out on the West coast. He wants to be, uh, you know, he wants to be part of a potential ownership group in Vegas. He's working pretty, very diligently on that with the groups that, that would help him do that. But certainly, certainly I don't think you ever can rule it out, but I think his intentions have been to remain there. And I think the Lakers believe that they have an opportunity this summer to upgrade that roster, uh, have some more draft capital that they could put into trades and try this summer to improve their supporting cast. I don't think they're championship contenders right now. Um, Is there a move this summer that could put them back into that conversation? LeBron and obviously the NBA world will be descending upon Indianapolis here in the coming days. It is All-Star Weekend coming up here in the Circle City. Adrian Wojnarowski from ESPN joining us right now to chat more about that. Woj, your event at the Vogue tomorrow night. I've had some way back Wednesdays at the Vogue. This sounds like a little bit more of an educational night with Tyrese Halliburton. And I find the Grant Hill appearance, considering the Team USA connection for Halliburton in a Olympic year, interesting as well. Let our audience know what they could be getting into tomorrow night. Yeah, I'm really excited. I'm really excited for it. I've had both Tyrese and Grant Hill separately on my podcast. And they are, listen, people in Indianapolis know about uh, Tyrese Halliburton. And I I think it's going to be a fun night. I I think it's going to be, he's always candid. He's always open. He's always got something interesting to say. Uh, And then having Grant Hill come in and join us. Uh, halfway through, obviously, the managing director of USA Basketball, Hall of Famer. And, uh, you know, I wanted to try to pair a couple people that I thought would really complement each other. Uh, and I think probably in the second half of it, maybe a little broader conversation about the league with both Grant and Tyrese together. Obviously, USA Basketball, they were part of uh, the team last summer um, at the Worlds. Uh, obviously, you know, there's certainly a, a real possibility that Tyrese Halliburton could be part of the Olympic team next summer. Uh, I just think it's a great pairing of two people, of two smart, interesting, accomplished people. And listen, I think if you're a Pacer fan, a chance to, it's a small theater. Uh, I'm I'm excited. I've never been in the Vogue. People just rave about it. You guys obviously know it uh, well, but just sort of that intimate environment of a conversation. And I think it's a way for fans to get up close and get to see uh, Tyrese Halliburton, get to see Grant Hill and uh, really looking forward to it. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. I love, you know, I've been to the Final Four in Indy, and All-Star Weekend in Indy I think is going to be great. There's no better basketball town, uh, no better basketball metropolis, certainly in America. Uh, obviously no better basketball state than Indiana. They always do these big events right. So much history there. And I think the timing for 
the Pacers organization with the success they've had this year, and obviously Tyrese Halliburton, who's been, you know, really maybe the breakout player in the league this year, certainly in the East. And so uh, we still have tickets available. Yeah, it's a, like I said, it's a fairly intimate theater, but. Um, I think we're going to have a lot of fun. Yeah, that's going to be, again, at The Vogue. That's tomorrow night, 8 o'clock, thevogue.com. If you want to check out tickets there, thevogue.com, the Woj podcast live. Again, Halliburton's going to be there, Woj, obviously, uh, and Grant Hill. That should be a lot of fun uh, as well. You know, I got thinking, you mentioned Halliburton and the Pacers, uh, his emergence, perhaps they are a little bit ahead of schedule a few weeks ago. Now, what, month ago or so, we see the move for Pascal Siakam. We know they need to lock him up to that max deal this offseason that's going to be number one with the move they made to kind of you know get rid of Buddy Heald at the trade deadline Woj what do you think is next for the Pacers is there another sizable swing that the front office can make what do you make about the future moves I guess that they could make here in the next year or so well I think you know obviously re-signing Pascal Siakam this offseason I think there's a lot of confidence uh, that that will happen that can happen uh, you know, he was excited about the trade to Indiana. I think he's loved being there so far. And I think the Pacers traded for him with, with some confidence that, you know, they'd be able to do that. I think with the current economics of the NBA, like, you know, Halliburton, Pascal Siakam, and, you know, Miles Turner, certainly, you, you don't want to see growth. I think their, their big moves are going to be the growth of their young players, Ben Matherin. Uh, you know, that group, seeing those guys uh, grow around, you know, all-star, all-star level players on Halliburton, Pascal Siakam. Certainly, uh, this is a group that you want to see get better defensively. That was part of the thought of uh, bringing in Siakam. Uh, but I think this is an organization that I think Indiana is seeing the benefits of this new collective bargaining agreement that was just going to make it very difficult for the big market teams who could run up huge luxury tax bills and have three stars, have three max players. It is going to just be really, really difficult to do that and have any kind of supporting cast, any kind of roster flexibility. And so I think, you know, maybe in a previous year, you know, a golden state, a Clippers, a Lakers trades for Siakam because they could pay him as a third star the league wanted to see star talent spread around. And I think Indiana, uh, to an extent, is a beneficiary of that. But also the fact that they were building something there, what uh, Kevin Pritchard and Chad Buchanan and Rick, uh, Rick Carlisle have done, uh, the leadership there, and the Halliburton trade changed the organization. It's a team, guys want to play with him, um, and guy, people see him as a legitimate franchise star you can build around those are hard to get they're really hard to get in trades and they're even harder to get when they're really young and the Pacers did all that with Halliburton yeah I'm bullish on Tyrese's ability to attract some guys here moving forward just uh, retweeted the link to those tickets again tomorrow night at the Vogue Adrian Wojnarowski with us here on the Payless Stickers Hotline Tyrese Halliburton and Grant Hill you can check out my Twitter page for a link uh, to those tickets. Woj, one Halliburton item I did want to ask you about, uh, I guess it's a little bit on the floor, a little bit off the floor, but that 65-game rule 
has been a big topic for us here locally, and Tyrese playing that mark. He's got a couple of games to play with here the rest of the season, potentially getting the All-NBA nod, and obviously the contractual uh, finances off of that. Do you see any tweaking of that rule moving forward here? Obviously, the Embiid situation, I know, has dominated some of your headlines as well, but how do you see the NBA reacting to that rule moving forward? Yeah, I don't think they're going to change it. There always can be tweaks. And maybe there's some more latitude when for players who are close around 65, um, like in Tyrese Halliburton's case, where you know I think they would have been willing or will be willing to include the play-in championship, or excuse me, the in-season championship game. That makes sense. You know, you might want to say, hey, can we include the All-Star game in that? They're probably not going to do that. Um, but I think the league wanted this rule very much. They've got it in place. And there are probably going to be a couple guys every year who are going to be, you know, who are going to hover around that, and and maybe an injury um, keeps them from All NBA. If you look through it historically, especially with the awards, not so much the All NBA, but the awards, there's not many guys who've won, like whether it's Defensive Player of the Year, MVP, uh, Most Improved, whatever it is, not many guys who've won it uh, below 65. There's a few. And I, but I think this is something the league really wanted, and I don't see dramatic change to this. They wanted players on the floor. They've gotten them on the floor more this year. But I think the concern for teams, though, is the idea that injured players, players who aren't healthy, are going to play when they shouldn't play uh, to try to keep themselves, to get them at that 65 number. And does that cost teams in the postseason? Does that cost teams – you know, are we going to see less stars in the playoffs because they injured themselves or they made worse an injury? I think that's all collateral damage to this. But, you know, they made a decision in the NBA, especially with a new TV deal coming, to have more star players on the court. They've gotten it. We'll see at what cost that is. And, again, like you don't want injured players playing and then uh, making injuries worse or, um, but that's going to all be part of this. I, I don't see it changing. Well, we'll end with this. Your colleague Adam Schefter has shared the story before on where he was and what he was doing when breaking the news of Andrew Luck and his retirement. <laughs> Certainly some people here in Indianapolis had some opinions on it. Simply to me, Schefter was just doing his job. What is your craziest news-breaking story? You know what? Well, I'm going to have to think about that one for Thursday night. I, I <clears throat> Adam was at a dinner. I remember him telling me that he was at a family, like a mother-in-law dinner birthday <laughs> dinner, I yeah. believe, if I, I, I remember correctly. This. I, um, I can, I have a pretty good memory of almost every story I've broken physically where I was. Like if you can ask me different stories through the years. I can tell you, yeah, I pulled off the road and I parked in that cemetery. <laughs> I pulled off the road and I parked in this apartment building complex's parking lot. I pulled off. I like. I have a pretty good memory of like all over northern New Jersey of these places that I've had to pull over. Um, you know the I best Uber Wi-Fi spots in northern New Jersey. More. Yeah, I Ubered <laughs> a lot more, but you know, flights and. You know, spotty wireless on flights. That's why I I tend to only try to fly red eyes. Like, especially a lot of my travel now is New York to LA, and I'll only fly red eyes home because the phone typically doesn't ring between 
you know, midnight and 6 a.m. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, no, that's, um, you need good wireless wherever you are. <laughs> well, I'll be That's sharing great. those stories tomorrow night again inside of the Vogue, 8 o'clock. Uh, again, the link is on our Twitter page, the wake-up call, and just retweeted that. Tyrese Halliburton, Grant Hill, Adrian Borjanowski, the Woj Pod, tomorrow night live at the Vogue. Woj, safe travels to Indy. Good luck to your right. Bonnies trying to get on Ooh. a run here late in the hey, season. That's, that's that's where I'm going from All-Star. I'm there Thursday, Friday. I've got a 5.30 a.m. flight through Washington to Buffalo. And then uh, down to Olean for Bonnie's Davidson. Everybody else is going to Cabo. I'm going to Bonnie's Davidson. Gosh, I, I absolutely love your passion for your alma mater That's there great. in St. Bonaventure. Again, hopefully they can get on run here late in the year. Well, right. We will uh, see you tomorrow Thanks, night, guys. man. I appreciate you. See you in Indy. Okay, take care. It's the best of the best from today's broadcast lineup. Instant replay continues in a moment on 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. This is Instant Replay. Today on Query and Company. Some of the great sounds of the mid-80s, this song was the number one song in the land the last time the NBA All-Star Game was in Indianapolis. The guy that you just heard hitting that shot that sent the Houston Rockets into the 1986 NBA Finals, in my opinion, the most underappreciated, ridiculously impossible shot in the NBA of the 80s. And the most valuable player in that game at the Hoosier Dome joins us now on the program, Ralph Sampson, the former Houston Rocket, and of course, Virginia All-American joining us on the program. Ralph, it is a pleasure. How are you? Hey, the pleasure is all mine. You 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 called me and we got on today and I'm thank you for doing all that, but you brought back great memories of being in Indiana. I can remember coming through the airport on um that uh, the pregame and uh, they the showed the shot with the Lakers. So good memories for me and uh, thanks for having me. Hey, you know what? Let's begin by, and I'm thrilled you're here uh, talking with us. Let, let's begin with this, and we'll get to the coin flip in a second. But the All-Star Game itself in 1985, it was such a big deal for the city, Ralph, because you know you had 24 points in that game, uh, 10 boards. You were the most valuable player. It was a star-studded affair, obviously, but I mean just from a legendary standpoint. What are your memories of being in the city and maybe the hub or lack thereof in 1985 versus what we're going to see this year with the All-Star Game in Indy? Well, you know, I tell people all the time, so I think Magic, I had 24 points. Magic probably had eight assists because all he had to do was run, and he made those great passes. So I, I give him kudos all the time. He gives up like a, a 25% of that trophy. So anyway, it was a great game, and we enjoyed it. But um, I mean, Indianapolis, I think, and, and I, hope it, I don't know if they had an All-Star Game prior to 85, but uh, or after 85, what it may be. But the city, to me, is a great venue for any sport event. you got everything downtown, which is the first time I was there. Everything you can walk to, that you can go to, restaurants, to the arenas. It's right downtown, so it's a perfect place. My son played at University of Minnesota. They had the big tournament there, and we'd go there. But it was a perfect place for that. I've been there for NCAA tournaments as well. So it's one of my favorite places to come. 
for a sporting event because everything is right nestled downtown. And there's no other city, I think, like that, that you can walk, have great hotels, and have great food. So I think Indy is one of those special places for sure. You know, when you go back to Indy at that time, you know, and now, obviously, and downtown has been so built, Ralph, as you know, having come to Big Ten tournaments and, you know, played playing here in games for years, sports was such a, an important part of the birth and the growth of Indianapolis. You were nearly a big part of that. And I remember, I, I just told the story, being in elementary school, and they came over the loudspeakers at school to play the live radio call of the coin flip, and all of us at Allisonville Elementary School are sitting there oh, in yeah, Virginia yeah, shirts, yeah. and we're thrilled, right? Oh, my gosh, we're going to get Ralph Sampson. What's your memory of nearly becoming a Pacer? Did you have any conversations with the Pacers prior to that draft? Yeah, I'm sure my agent did. At that point in time, we, we, we did talk about it. Um, you know, uh, and I was able to come out of high school to the NBA, uh, but I was so, you know, I did and I stayed. And then my, my, my freshman year, I was able to come out as well. I'd have been a number one pick probably, they say. But Kevin McHale wouldn't have gone to the Boston Celtics, right? It would have been a whole different ballgame. The next year, Isaiah Thomas might not have gone to Detroit Pistons. The third year, I probably should have came up, but um, uh, James Worthy might not have gone to the Lakers. So I could have changed the game <laughs> dramatically across the board if I came out of school. But, you know, and then, you know, I, and I couldn't depend on the coin flip, um, you know, and, and knowing the NBA like I do now, whatever is probably the best thing I did was stay because then I came out in the right spot, the right time. But I didn't mind. I would, I would have loved to come there and play with the Pacers and the team they had at that point in time. And the Rockets were still on the up, upswing. Uh, they had, you know, Elvin Hayes, Caldwell Jones, a lot of older players that were getting ready to retire. So I knew going there with me and Ryan McCray, you know, my senior year that we, we were going to make a change. But coming out early, you know, I don't think that those teams would have been there. But, you know, I think we did with a great team in the NBA. Uh, but I got to Indianapolis and, you know, so rest is history. But the city is great. You know, now I know kind of all that's there. I didn't know all that beforehand, before the conflict coming out of college. But as I look back, it would have been one of those cities that I probably would have been really good at and living and enjoying life there and playing, you know, playing at a high level. So it is a great, great spot for me. The Hall of Famer and MVP of the last All-Star Game here in Indiana 1985, Ralph Sampson, is our guest. Ralph, you are viewed by many, myself included, as one of the greatest bigs of all time. In today's NBA, that position has changed so much where outside shooting becomes a part of it and the three-point line is involved in it. And previous players in the past will say, and I view this too, you put any player from any generation that was great, you plop them in any era – they're still going to be great. For you, if you were coming up in the mid-2000s, let's say, where all of a sudden they're asking bigs to be stretch fives and space the floor, would you have adapted your game, do you think, to include perimeter action, or would you have made the game adapt to you being as dominant as you were in the low post? No, no, the game, I mean, they would, I mean, think about it. I mean, Bill Fitch was our coach. They would not let us shoot in threes. I don't know how many threes I shot in my career, but they would not let us shoot threes at all. If you shot one, like you know, you, 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 you're you're post up player, you need to get underneath the basket because she's seven foot four, and you should be close to the basket to get all the rebounds. That didn't make sense at that point in time, right? But that's the way the game was. And back then, to me, with the art of the game, today's game doesn't have much art in it. You just shoot a three, and you yeah, you work on percentages. And I mean, you got guys shooting three days, you know, from half court. I mean, I don't know how great. 
that is for basketball, but it is what it is, right? It's entertainment. And so for me, I think I could have played today for sure. I would love to play today. But the skill development that I had, I think a lot of players could have played today. I mean, I'll look at a couple of Jokic out of Denver. I think Bill Lambert would have been great today, but he'd been slow with foot like he was. He couldn't jump high, but he never was in the post up. He, he, he shot jump shots, three pointers all the time, right? And that's the way they played. So certain guys, I think, would have spread in it nicely in today's game. But I do think that, uh, you know, the big guys coming back a little bit every year, you get big, and the game is changing. So even uh, I take the guy, the big guy at, at Purdue, right? He, he's seven foot tall. He maybe played the again this year. Uh, but he's like a Mark Eaton, a better Mark Eaton to me, right? Uh, he's big, like Mark Eaton. He plays similar to Mark Eaton. And so there's similarities between him and say they said similarities between me and Wimby. Uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to meeting him one day and just kind of see what he is and watch him play, watch him on TV. But, you know, we play, we ran, we jumped. And I was able to do that in high school. And I uh, thank God that my high school coach, Roger Brady, is still with us. And Coach Terry Holland that just passed the last year. They let me, you know, be me. And, you know, they try to control a little bit so I can perfect it. But they made me practice and practice every day if I wanted to dribble the ball to court. And my high school coach started that. Ralph Sampson, there's so many connections, actually, for you that you may not even be aware in terms of just basketball in the state of Indiana. For example, I want to touch on what you just mentioned in Zach Eady. Zach Eady at Purdue has the opportunity, and I think at this point probably we can say uh, will become the first two-time winner of the Wooden Award, joining only Ralph Sampson in that category, the first since you did it and the only to do it since you. Um, what is your thought on right. having somebody match that record and that feat? I mean, you know, sometimes you think about it in, in, in today's game, especially in college, you would not think that ever would be done with NIL and transfer portal and all the stuff going on. But, I mean, I, I, I love the way, you know, uh, Purdue and the coach have put him together and around, and he's, he's a big presence. And he, he, he's in the low post again, right? So seeing a low post player do that is great because you're not normally going to see a low post player win National Player of the Year, right? Especially twice. And so I appreciate him, and I appreciate what they do to bring that big man to life. But you've got to figure out also how to play at the next level in the low post or transition again. And, and here, here lies the problem with that for me as well. Analytics has changed the game, which we all know. Most of the analytics that are produced at any NBA team are done by Harvard graduates or people like that that said you should – post up here or you should shoot from here or you should play different from there. But they don't tell you the guy's 7'4 and he's going to block a shot. They don't tell you all that, right? They know that makes to me. So you look at all that and you say, what's the game going to be like when Edie and any other big guy gets to the to, to the league? They're going to be game changers because you're going to have to defend him in the post at some point. I don't care who you are. And and, and the players that are, are, are on the teams are not going to be able to defend that, right? So it'll go back to that when you start getting and develop more players that are low-post players because that's going to win you games. And when you need a basket or two, it's not going to be the three-point shot. It's going to be the low-post big man turn around doing a jump hook or a sky hook or whatever may be close to the basket that's going to get you up two when you need two points. And and, and some coaches, just like the Denver coach, somebody's going to figure that out. And, and, and it's going to change the game up a little bit like it always has. And It won't go back to the way it was, but it'll have some flavor to the way it was. I think one of the things, Ralph Sampson, our guest, Ralph, you were on the the cover of Sports Illustrated. You were ubiquitous on that cover from 
the late 70s and early 80s. I think you were on the cover six times in the span of like 18 months. You know, you, you went to a Final Four with Virginia in 81 where Indiana was in Philly. Um, and, and during that time, one of the things that was so unusual and that, that made you so unique was your fluidity, your ability to run the floor, your ability to to do things aside from just being a low block guy. When you look at Webamyama, who kind of has that similar feel coming in, are there areas to his game that you would talk to him about in terms of preservation of body, ligaments, knees, avoiding some of the injuries that might have hurt you later in your career based on the fluidity and the range that you had at your size? Yeah, so when I get a chance to talk to him, I'm definitely going to talk about that because he's very fluid. When I see videos of him working out, he does a lot of yoga moves and a lot of stretching, which is going to be crucial. You know, I was the first guy in NBA that brought weights in a weight in a locker room in, a, in any NBA arena. And the guy named Robert Ward, God bless him, he's a good friend of mine. So I go to Houston because I was a big weightlifter in college because, you know, you're too thin, you need to gain weight, you need to put on muscle. That was a thought, right? So between my first and second year, I put on, put on about 15, 16 pounds of solid muscle, and then we go to the Final Four in my second year. But into the NBA, they didn't have that. They didn't have nutrition. They don't have the stuff they had today, right? So preservation of body is going to be good for them because they have all the technology. So think about San Antonio has, what, a $500 million plaque uh, facility and all the bells and whistles around it. So he's going to get the best treatment. They got the best food. They fly on, uh, uh, on private planes. So it's a totally different era as far as injury is concerned. But preservation of his body from that height is going to be crucial because uh, you look at Embiid, right? That just hurt his knee. And he's a big boy, right? And he plays. He's been playing hard. He could be MVP of the league this year, but he tore his meniscus. And then that stands the severity of the meniscus. I tore my meniscus, and that's what happened to me. If you tear it, you try to scrape it, take it out. That's a part of the body that's like a brake pad on your knees. And you go, he's going to keep chopping at him, chopping at him, chopping at him. Then his other knee is going to fail. I know they got better training staff these days, but it's just real. So Wemby, for me, is need to protect his body. He, it's, 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 it's the right thing that he's with Greg Pavlich and that crew. So NBA is smart, right? Let's, let's get it really straight. They're smart in what, how they position this stuff. And, and, and Pavlovich, you know, new contract, five more years, the highest paid coach in the league, it's going to take very good care. And, and they'll take good care of him. He's just got to be very cognizant of not wanting to play every night if he's tired or hurt himself. And that's what they did with NB, uh, uh, right? In the first couple of years, they didn't play him a whole lot because he wasn't ready. Uh, and when we going to do the same thing, he's going to want to play. He's the highlight of the league right now, of the world. And he, he's going to want to play, but his body and mentally is not quite ready to end the grind of 82 games. And then you got all-star break and you got to go there. And you're going to lose a lot of games before you win a lot of games. And he'll learn a lot through that, but taking care of his body is going to be very crucial. I would tell everybody out there, I don't know what LeBron James is doing totally. I, I know some of the things. But if you can follow what he does, but he's got a freakish body, you should emulate that as much as you can because he's one of the best people with 20 years, 21 years in the league that's taking care of his body. It makes sense. And then the last thing I would say is you look at a big man like you look at Kareem, you look at Robert Paris, myself, uh, all the big guys that I know, the tie to that and their health strength is yoga. Kareem taught me that early on in my career. I should have done it more, but he was doing it daily. I didn't have that in Houston. I just go to California and do it out there with him a couple of times. 
but the stretching is very crucial in those ligaments because he's so tall, and then he's got to guard guards, and that's where I think some of the things you have to understand. Don't worry about those guards. Guard them out in the, in the, in the career. They shoot a three, they shoot a three. Sit, sit, sit back off of them, try to block the shot, and then when they go to basket, you block the shot because you can't twist and turn like the little guard can because your ligaments and tendons are so long that it puts a lot of stress on your legs. So a lot of things you could teach from that. You know, they got David Robinson and, and, and Tim Duncan down. I'm sure they tell them to help him a lot, but, you know, hopefully they can teach him, you know, some things as well, which I'm sure they will. But you just got to protect his body at all costs. Ralph, lastly, that 1985 All-Star game, Ralph Sampson is our guest. That's the All-Star game. You were the MVP. I know you were on the West and not the East, but the long-standing, almost 40-year story of that game was that that was the game where allegedly Michael Jordan was frozen out by Isaiah Thomas and the members of the East that didn't want the young buck. Did you witness any of that? You know, I didn't really pay attention to it. Um, again, we were on the team. I've heard it after the game, and I, I haven't even gone back and looked at all that. But you heard the whip between Isaiah and Michael. has been historical over the years. To me, that's just a competitive spirit no matter what. And it stays till this day, I'm sure, to some extent. But, you know, you squash all that because I like the competitive nature of everybody, right? And we all have one. And you want to win. And then Detroit and Chicago, they would battle each other all day long. So it stayed in the All-Star game probably. It stayed in the locker room. Who knows how, how long it went under the scenes. But I never saw it live, and I didn't really pay attention to it because I was more worried about our team and what we were doing and beating the Lakers and everything else before I was worried about somebody else's team. Now, lastly, Ralph, if you come for the All-Star game this weekend and Jerry Seasting's here, do you have to buy him dinner, or how does that work out? Uh, yeah, no doubt. Between Danny Ainge and him, I may have to buy him dinner. <laughs> so I think it's probably dinner because they, they started. <laughs> I, was, I, was, I was rolling in that game because I had to say, okay, great. If y'all going to win, you can't win on our home court. I mean, they won the series, okay, great. But you're not going to win in Houston. And so I was prepared to play and ready to play. And if you watch that video, they were coming off picks. I was sitting picks down where they'd come off, and they would hit me in crazy spots, as you know. And so I got frustrated after about the third time. And things just escalated. And uh, we had to go to blows. I got kicked out. We won. But remember, we Akeem got kicked out in that game that I went, got the shot with the Lakers, and we had an argument there with Marvis Lucas and the crew. So we were a feisty bunch. We were ready to play. <laughs> we, we hung together, and we we didn't take we didn't take anything lightly. So you know we we were good. Basketball in the '80s, man, I love it. And Jerry Jerry Seasting will meet you at Elmo and buy you your shrimp cocktail. Ralph, how's that to make up for it? Um, well, I, I, I'm allergic to Jerry Seasting. I'm allergic to shrimp. So, <laughs> so but we, I'll take a, I'll take a steak. I'll take a steak. All right, Ralph. Listen, um, I appreciate it, man. It's a it's a thrill to talk to you, and you are certainly a part of Indiana basketball lore with the uh, most valuable player award back in '85, the coin flip, and all of it. But one of the great names in basketball, and certainly appreciate the time today. Enjoy the All Star Game weekend. Thank you, God, for having me, and I'm going to have it again when it's over. Anytime, let me know, but you guys enjoy as well. Thank you. Appreciate it. Ralph Sampson, the 1985 NBA Most Valuable Player. It's the best of the best from today's broadcast lineup. Instant replay continues in a moment on 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan.
is Instant Replay. Previously on The Ride with JMV. Andy Moore, Automotive Group Hotline. I believe him to be right now, staked out in Portland at the uh, second of two after winning last night in Portland. Got Portland coming up on Thursday. The best out west so far at 38-16. and 16. And with uh, Minnesota, also the head coach of the Western Conference All-Stars. So he'll be in town coming up this weekend to Chris Finch as the head coach of the Timberwolves on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. Hey, Chris, thank you very much for the time here in Indy with us how are you i'm great appreciate you guys having me on yeah fantastic your team is playing fantastically i want to get into them a little bit then get into the all-star break and being a part of this the thing i noticed i guess the most is being a huge basketball fan and watching the nba is just the, the different level your team seems to play defensively right now which is something i'd like to see the pacers get into at some point i just don't think is going to happen this year what has been that evolution process with your team defensively that has made them so much much better it seems this season well you know listen i think you got to have guys who you know like and value and are good at playing defense i mean it sounds kind of basic but it's it's true it's a good place to start we're fortunate to have a lot of two-way players um and you know some of our young players in particular are you know really good defenders they take the challenge and guard on the ball uh and then you know, then it just becomes about learning the learning these players, picking up tendencies and the schemes and the coverages, and that just takes experience and time. And, and uh, you know, Anthony Edwards, for example, always been great on the ball. His competitiveness is at a high level, but off the ball, he just gets better and better every year, just with familiarity. Um, and then, of course, you know, we have Rudy Gobert, who is uh, drives it all. Like he, it, it's his approach to defense. It's his uh, you know, his desire to, to want to be great at that end of the floor and instill that into his teammates. So you got to be good at the point of attack, which is really hard to do in today's NBA with the rules and the skill. Uh, and then you got to be good at the rim. And, you know, fortunately, we have those things covered. You know, we have things that we're not as good at, but we got the basics covered, so that gives us a fighting chance every night to be a good defensive team. He is Chris Finch, the head coach of the Minnesota Timberwolves, and your Western Conference All-Star head coach here coming up on Sunday in Indy with the All-Star game. He's on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. You guys, I'm always curious about this because Miles Turner also is like a, a block guy, gets a lot yeah. of blocks. And the thing that stands out to me about Gobert is uh, it is even more so an impact with those that drive. Let's just say they get past that point of attack that you're talking about they get into the paint get into the lane and then there's a detour after that because just his simple presence there makes them have a change of heart about attacking the rim how big is that even beyond chris the block itself yeah i think well we talk about all the time it's deterrence you know the deterrence is probably the the thing that you can't measure which is probably the biggest impact you know driver to changing the way these teams want to play i mean you look at the new NBA, there's such a, you know, emphasis on efficiency. What is efficiency? It's, you know, open threes, making threes at a high rate and getting to the rim. And, you know, if you're able to kind of take one of those away, you you got a chance to be a good defensive team. And there's different ways to do both. But, um, you know, with Rudy in there and, you know, and, and guys like, uh, you know, that just have a massive deterrence to it just changes the way teams want to play. They get in there, they may settle. They get in there, they might kick out to guys who, you know, are not the uh, first sh- shooting option. So, yeah, that's, that's something that we understand is 
really driving a lot of, of our defensive impact. I often wonder this, too, because we're the same age. I'm assuming you're the class of 1988, like I'm the class of 1988. So you and I have, have gone through a change in dynamic, a change, generationally speaking, in the way basketball is played here. And the traditional center when we were growing up is the non-traditional center nowadays. Does it take a little bit more to work in a guy like Rudy Gobert now that that is kind of viewed as such a non-traditional pivot or a non-traditional center in this era of basketball? I think schematic, I think like schematically, uh, you know, teams are trying to play out of tons of pick and roll, spread spread the floor, run pick and roll, create you know three pointers out of it or shots at the rim. I think that is familiar with with everybody now. What takes some time is just you know, do you have the guys on your team that are able to throw lobs? <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, can you can you get the ball to a guy like Rudy? You know, in the most opportune spots, you know, above the rim, um, you know, at the you know in in, in in and around the rim when he's able to seal again switches. Um, so yeah, so that that's what's taken us a little bit of time. I and mean, we've had some guys that uh, are better at it and naturally have played with, with lob threats before. Um, you know, you guys have an incredible one there, and Tyrese can make every pass on the floor, but not everyone can. So it just takes a while. You know, rep it out, practice, and come come across the different situations in the game. It's uh, Chris Vance, the head coach of Minnesota, the Western Conference All-Star coach on the Andy Moore Automotive Group pylon. You said after the game last night that went in Portland, it was a second of a back-to-back. When you were asked about you know, you know, what, it, what it takes to win a back-to-back, you mentioned your guys just like to play basketball. And that yeah. is a large part of that. And you can see that, too. And it's beyond the success, right? It's beyond the success of winning or hitting shots or feeling good. It's just wanting to get out there and suit up whenever you're called upon. And that is a big deal, especially in a long NBA season with a lot of these back-to-back situations like that. Yeah, it is. Uh, and, and it, you know, trickles down. It's leadership. Mike Conley, uh, you know, uh, 17 years in the league, he just wants to play every night. He doesn't want to be on any kind of rest or, or load management program. Um, and that sets the tone. Like, Rudy loves to play every single night. You know, our young guys, you know, fortunately, they're, they're wired. They want to play. They love the competition. They like to be out there. Um, you know, they're not looking for nights off. And you got to manage it. And that, we have a deep team. We have, we're fortunate enough to have a deep roster. We had um, we have nine, ten, eleven. Some, you know, before the trade deadline, we had a couple guys in Shake Milton, Troy Brown, who were definitely NBA rotation players who we just weren't able to get into our rotation. But we had uh, a lot of guys, so I think that helps too. So you're able to manage these games and these minutes in a in a healthy way without just having to park guys. Uh, I'm not a big fan of that organizationally. Our president of basketball operations, Tim Connolly's not. We don't think it's good for our organization. We don't think it's good for our young players. We don't think it's good for the league or the product overall. So we've been advocates of trying to play. And that's not to say that, you know, teams that aren't resting or aren't doing it strategically or for the right reasons, but it's become too much of a thing. And, um, you know, we're just going to try to do our thing to play every single night. You mentioned Mike Connolly, 17 years in the NBA. He is from Indianapolis and just won so much uh, at Lawrence North High School. He and Greg Oden as a part of that that particular group. What does he bring to the table besides wanting to play every night, never wanting a night off? What does that 17 years of guidance and leadership bring to your team with a great deal of youth that's a part of the winning going on there? Well, he's been so impactful to our young players. You always hear about these vets, right? Like you need a veteran presence on, on a team with young players, but you got to have a veteran presence who can still go out there and get it done. That's what gains the most amount of respect from a young player. 
playing alongside a guy that can still get it done, but also impart the knowledge and experience that he has and teach him everything. And he's just, he's, he, you know, I, I said this before, I'm not sure Mike came here wanting to be a leader. I mean, he is naturally a great leader, but he, he is a, you know, he's become an incredible um, leader for us just in his, his presence, the way he talks to our, our guys, like calm. And then, of course, he still can go out and play at a high level and his clutch performance is, you know, he can just flow along in the game, make sure everything's going. And then when you need him to step up in the last four or five minutes, um, he can really just, you know, make all the plays that break the opponent's back. And when he's not been in or he's not played particularly well that night for, you know, whatever reason which happens, you know, we've struggled. And, um, and that's how important he is for us. And there's just many ways I can express it, but he's been – Everything we could expect it and more. So Chris Finch, not only the head coach of the best in the West in Minnesota, but the Western Conference All-Star head coach is on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Does it make it even more gratifying? I mean, having a season that's far from complete right now, but being the coach of the Western All-Stars being here in town this weekend, for the journey that has been your career that has you know gone to Europe as a player, as a coach, and then back over here, does it make that journey even more? Even more gratifying it, it makes it more surreal uh, I mean certain, everything every day is gratifying to me in, in this job one of the lucky ones uh, I really never ever thought I'd be coaching in the NBA it wasn't a stated goal of mine always thought I'd be a small college coach somewhere um, but just the way things have unfolded for me I've been really lucky uh, and this is just one more opportunity I can't believe that I get you know get I think not many times in, in your career these days where you kind of get anxious or nervous about your environment uh, after you've been in a lot of different situations, but this one has the, that, the makings of that nervous excitement that you have, um, you know, when you walk into a something that feels really big. Hey, I feel bad about asking you this because, I mean, hell, your team has a game coming up tomorrow night still in Portland, but have you thought about Sunday? Do you have some scripted plays that you're going to call for these guys? Or are you going to turn them loose? Or what the hell happens? What's going to happen? Yeah, no, I, I, I've not thought about it a ton. I have made some phone calls to you know people around the league that I know have done it before and you know gotten some advice. And yeah, yeah I think it's the NBA is a player-driven, player star, a star player league, and, you know, I, I'm going to leave it up to them. Like, hey, give me your favorite plays, and we'll try to incorporate them. And, um, you know, we have a lot of fun with the guys, too. And, uh, you know, I'm hoping that uh, we put on a good show. I like the fact that we returned to the East-West format. Um, I think it will infuse some natural competition. And um, I'm confident the guys will give give us a, a good a good performance on Sunday. Yeah, run a little flex motion or something like that, and just surprise the <laughs> hell out of everybody. <laughs> yeah, I mean, tell you, that's 1980s basketball right there. Yeah, they go, wait a minute, what are we doing? Here? What is this again? I don't even what is that? Huh? Right. So yeah, I got to move twice on this play. You're telling me? <laughs> wait, I don't go up and set a high ball screen. I, I seriously, I don't <laughs> jump pass. What am I allowed to do here? I don't know. So, yeah. I um I did want to ask you this because you're a basketball lifer and you've been through so many different generations of that certainly um where is basketball today compared to how much has it changed since you were playing early stages as a coach and do you like the way that it has changed both in the way that is played and the way that it is officiated with the rules um well it's changed a lot i think you know, we covered some of that with you know talking about the the evaporation of the low post play. I mean, that's when we were growing up, you know, that's kind of where it all started. 
Um, I do like where the game is at because I love the amount of skill that's in the game right now at all positions. I mean, skilled bigs are I – mean, these guys are incredible to watch. You know, um, everybody has them. If you have them, you can – they become like an offensive micro system. You can just run everything through them. Um, but I will say what I do miss a little bit, the game's become quite homogeneous. You know, you just – everyone's playing some version of the same style. It's one thing I do like, you know, about our – our lineup, we you know we we we're big. We play big. We try to stay big. We will post you up, but you know we still try to play some modern, analytically driven basketball too. Spread you out. Uh, we we try to be a hybrid according to what our personnel allows. Um, but I even in Europe and, and around the world, like you used to be able to tell, like, hey, a Serbian team played like this, a German team played like that, uh, Spanish team played with a bunch of flair. You know, and uh, and like like that's gone somewhat. You know, everyone kind of plays the same version, so I do miss that. But I think that's a result of just all this skill now, and of course, you know, the anal- analytics in the game. Like once you know these things to be true, and you can't unknow them. You know, efficient basketball is efficient basketball, and people are going to trend to that now. Yeah, and, and not oftentimes you're going to call call plays back in the 80s and the 90s where you drive it up the floor and uh, get past the hash mark and go ahead and shoot it. Just do it. Put it up. Yeah. yeah <laughs> I mean, shot, shots that people value now. And yes. Steph Curry's made, you know, uh, famous. Like, we weren't allowed to take those shots in high school. No. <laughs> No, well, I mean, in stepping stepping into it, I mean, the, yeah. these these they're not quite layups, but they, I mean, it, it they're easy shots when you know they come by surprise and there's not much of, of a closeout on you right there. So, and and that's what everybody's learning. It is amazing, but you're right about the talent level, and you're going to be coaching that up coming up here in town on Sunday. Chris Finch is the head coach of Minnesota, your Western Conference All Star head coach. Now, when you see Michael Grady, make sure you tell him that I just talked to a guy in Indy that has a, a hell of a lot better jump shot than you do, okay? Make sure you tell him that. I will do. We love Michael, man. He's been awesome for us since no. he came, come on board. He is a terrific dude. Hey, uh, the best of luck to you again tomorrow against Portland, and uh, have a great time here in Indianapolis in the weekend, Chris. We appreciate you. I'm looking forward to it. Thanks for having me on. It's uh, Chris Finch, the head coach of the Minnesota Timberwolves on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. I love that conversation. Loved it. Thanks again for listening to Instant Replay because second helpings are always best when the main course is still fresh. Instant Replay on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan.